This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Josephine Moon, welcome back to Better Reading. <laughs> Thank you. So great to be back. We're, I'm really excited to have you back. I'm looking forward to this chat. And I've got to tell you, you are one of the most popular Australian writers around. When our readers, when we mention your name for any reason, so many uh, readers say to me, oh, she's wonderful. Love her. Love, And I'm assuming it's the writing, right? <laughs> I don't think they're in love with you per se. Oh, this, this sounds like a backhanded compliment now. It's not you, actually, Joe. <laughs> but there's a lot of love out there for you, which is so wonderful. Yeah, I do have a, a lot of really loyal, loyal readers who who have been there from day one and who keep turning up year after year when I, you know, when we do get out and about and do things, which is really lovely. It really, it's it really puts you know the shine on all the all the stuff when they come out. That's really lovely. Speaking of readers, and I'll introduce you in a minute, but speaking of readers, I often wonder how difficult it would have been for authors many moons ago where they couldn't really have a direct relationship with readers, whereas through social media now, and, you know, mostly on our page anyway, um, it's really great positive stuff. You get a lot of good feedback from readers. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, I think there's pros and cons to all of that because I think over the years, what I struggle with more every year is having more and more voices in my head of people who've said things or written things or whatever. And so all those things kind of accumulate rather than that, you know, that really beautiful kind of bubble you're in before you're known to anyone and you, and you don't even know if that thing's ever going to be published. And so there's sort of like all of that pressure's gone. But now I think about those people before I read and then I have to consciously kind of block them out just to go, no, I just need to focus on the story so, yeah, I mean, it's great on one hand, but, yeah, it is. it does add to the amount of voices in my head as well. Yeah, I guess so. I know. And, and maybe some distraction as well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. No, that's exactly right because you felt like you post something online and then they, you know, people comment, which is lovely, and then I want to comment back and then, like, we had, we get into this whole banter and then it's like, oh, I've just, yeah, wasted yeah. a lot of time. They're not wasting because they're lovely, but you know what I mean? Like I've lost in that space, yeah. Yeah, you should be writing. Josephine Moon was born and raised in Brisbane and had a full start in environmental science before completing a Bachelor of Arts in communication and then a postgraduate degree in education. Twelve years and ten manuscripts later, her first novel, The Tea Chess, was picked up for publication, then shortlisted for the Arbia Award. Her best-selling contemporary fiction is published internationally. Her books include The Chocolate Promise, The Beekeeper's Secret, The Cake Maker's Wish and The Jam Queens. She's here to talk about her latest novel, The Wonderful Thing About Phoenix Rose. It's a joyful and moving tale of a woman's commitment to fulfilling a friend's dying wish while finding her own inner strength and power and sharing it with others along the way. They're human stories. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly the kind of stuff I want to want to write about. In fact, I was saying this the other day that um, I'm sure you probably, you know, Francis Whiting, most people would know Francis Whiting, um, but I grew up with Francis being, you know, this journalist in, you know, Curry Mall in Queensland and every weekend, you know, my mum and I would read her, you know, her story. And I was studying journalism at the time. And I used to think this is, this is the stuff I want to write, what she's writing. Um, but I never got that position in journalism, but I still got to write all those stories about, you know, humans, real world stories, great characters, small towns, triumphs, triumphs and tears and all of that sort of stuff is all what I love, which I still got to do, but just in a really long form in novels now. Yeah. Okay. So tell me your career path. So you finished school, were you a big reader? With growing up, did you think that's what you wanted to do? I was a huge reader when I was young, like primary school, probably, and then probably a little bit in early high school. But I think then after that, you know, just study itself became far too intense and and took over uh, any time, I guess. I wrote my first story in year one, apparently. Apparently it was a very, very funny story. My mother did not keep it, sadly, but she said her and my teacher had a huge laugh over it, thought it was so amazing. She constantly brings it up. You wrote this amazing story when you were six. Um, and then I wrote like my first novel when I was nine, which was called Starlight the Brumby because I was obsessed with Elaine Mitchell's Silver Brumby series. And so horses. Yeah, horses. Horses are a ma- massive thing. And then my sister gave me a book of James Herriot's vet stories when I for my 16th birthday, which I just adore. I honestly, I listen to them every single year. They are so good. Um, he's such a great writer. And and it's that whole thing. It's the characters, the small village, the, you know, the warmth, the humour, the that connection, that sort of interpersonal stuff. And I remember, but I remember thinking, this is great because I love animals and I seem to have some good writing ability and, you know, maybe one day I can, I can write about animals. So I finally did it in Phoenix Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I got there to a ton of animals. Yeah. So you worked as a journalist for a while? Uh, no, I worked for free for quite a while and that's sort of what happens yeah. in the journalism circles. Oh, you can, you know, yeah. do some work experience with us for, you know, a year and then you might get a job. So, no, I did quite a lot of free stuff, but then I did, um, so I started environmental science and then I, I realised I really was more of a writer than a statistician because there's a lot of stats in environmental oh. science. And then, um, yeah, so I was doing journalism, film and media, and then I did graduate diploma in education because it just seemed like the right thing to do and I'd sort of had a bit of an interest in teaching and whatnot. So then, yeah, I sort of started there and I think it was my first year teaching, which was 1999, and I went to a workshop with the Queensland Writers' Centre and I just went, this is it, like this is what I want to do, I want to be a career writer. But, yeah, that took another 12 years and 10 manuscripts and 100 rejections plus I threw away my spreadsheet at 100 and now I want to talk about that infamous spreadsheet because you told me about that spreadsheet the last time we spoke, which was a few yeah. years ago now, pre-COVID. Yep. And I have I was so impressed with your um commitment at the time. And you know, because yeah. a lot of people ask us about, you know, the path to publication. And mm. so as it turns out, I have I have used your story or I have retold your story uh, to many writers on this podcast. And now it seems to be that so many people know about it. Tell it to me again so that, you know, because I'm sure I've embellished it in parts. I'm very much a person that just uh, believes in throwing spaghetti at the wall and just keeps throwing it until things stick. And so um, and I think one of the mistakes a lot of early writers make is they get really, really attached to what they're writing on and they just keep reworking that same thing. And really what they need to do is go, that was practice. I'm moving on. I'm writing something else. 
And so I I would just write things, put them out and just keep writing. So while you're waiting then to get feedback on something else, you've got, you know, something else to work on. So I was just creating, creating, creating. But I, I was writing in a stack of different genres. I really didn't know what sort of writer I wanted to be. I hadn't really clarified my voice there, I don't think yet. So I had all th- all sorts of things going on. I had children's, I had wire, I had memoir, I had nonfiction. I just had stuff everywhere. And so in those days, you had to actually post your whole manuscript and put in like replied paid postage for it to come back. And then you had to wait, you know, months. And it was always really um, sad because you'd get this little card going, oh, there's a parcel for you at the post office. <laughs> you go down and go, oh, great, what is it? And then they hand you this enormous thing that's come back from, you know, a publishing house and you're like, oh, you know, another rejection. But, I mean, I, I guess essentially I was just logging where I'd sent things in my spreadsheet so I didn't double up because I just was putting so much stuff out there. So, yeah, that was sort of my aim was just like keep putting things out there, keep trying, keep trying different things and something will so how many manuscripts, like it wasn't 100 manuscripts that went no. out, it was to 100 people all up. Yeah, so it was, well, I stopped counting at 100. When I got to 100, I just went, oh, this is really depressing, and I deleted the spreadsheet. I actually, of course, now wish I had it so that I could just have it as a bit of a, like, look, what happened. Um, but I just I just thought oh, I just have to let that go. It's now just hurting <laughs> to look at it. It yeah. was a hundred rejections. Yeah, so it was ten novel, ten well, ten manuscripts in twelve years, basically. And the tenth right. was the teachers. So lucky number ten. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess it was um, your experience um, in data that helped you pull that together. That that spreadsheet. Um, I actually think it's more that I'm disorganized and I can't remember things. So ADHD and I have, like I forget things the second after I've done them. So if I don't log it, if I don't just like list it somewhere, I can't see what I've done and and remember it really. But yeah, I was I. I do, I see this. I saw this on, on Facebook the other day. Someone was saying, you know, um, it was even a, I think it might have even been a hashtag, which was like aim for a hundred or claim your hundred or something like that in response to someone's thing on rejection. And I was like, hmm, that sounds really, really familiar. So that's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, until somebody proves me otherwise, I'm going to claim that that. Um, oh, that, I think you yeah. should, because I've told the story so many times. So tell me when a rejection didn't come in. So it was the same process. You went to the post office, you posted it. Tell me that story. Um, for the T-test? Well, that one actually. Well, your first acceptance, I guess, or your first tell me more. Oh, okay. So um, the T-test went like a lot of and and apparently this is quite a common way for writers to break through eventually is that they get through via another author yeah so I just happened to be very very lucky to have connected with Monica McEnany and she offered to take my manuscript and passed it on to her agent and then so by this point I didn't have to post it it all went by email (laughs) can I just say that she has to be one of the most generous authors out there yeah she should be an agent really shouldn't she like she finds all these people and (laughs) sends them on to get sold so generous yeah no she's awesome totally so yeah I I'm always deeply grateful for that and you know how did you connect with her I have told this story before. I can't remember if you remember the story. I always feel a bit weird telling it because there's no real explanation for it. So I was pregnant with my son. I was, you know, had finished the T-chest. I wanted to get it out there. And I literally, I literally just woke up one morning, opened my eyes and heard the words email Monica McEnany. And it was just like, I have no way to explain that right. And I thought that's so random. And because it's so random, <laughs> I will email Monica. I mean, I was a massive fan, obviously, of her work. 
And anyway, I just sent off. It was a very short email. Did you know her? No, well, no, no. We'd never met, never spoke to her, never connected with her. Oh, I think, I think, you know what I think it was? I think it was just that after having written so many things, you can just tell, you can get a sense actually when people are just so close to breaking through. And I think that's probably what it was. She could just sense that in that email that this person's really ready to go and just needs that last door to open. And so beautifully, that's what she did. And away we went. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So she took it, she read it, and then she forwarded it to her agent. Yeah. Right, okay. And how did you feel about that? Oh, terrified. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like because now you're in the business of just posting yeah. manuscripts and keeping a spreadsheet that's what you're in the business yeah of. that's right I mean you sort of <laughs> then you had things. to become a writer yeah oh yes and my and then we you know we kind of signed papers when I my son was six weeks old and it was just like the most oh, chaotic wow. intense ridiculous time <laughs> to have you know had all those years beforehand that would have been you know so much easier to do it but you know that's luck right stuff never happens <laughs> why do you think it's the most perfect time yeah just take what comes along how did you find the editorial process initially because that would have been different no well that was fine because I'd actually worked as an editor as well for many oh years. okay so I'd worked in corporate situations and I'd worked um in uh, John Wiley and Sons as well and I actually loved that job I worked on um high school textbooks, which was so much fun because you got to choose like the photos that went with it. Oh, it was just, it was a dream job. Really, really fun. So yes, I know that was fine. I I was already used to all of that. And I already understood, you know, um, we were still using um, standard copyright, like standard markup language, you know, in pen, all the weird scribbles all over manuscripts. So I already knew all of that stuff. So none of that was really intimidating. It was all good. And did you think at that point that this is it? I'm going to be a full-time writer? Talk to me about I've never thought that. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said down the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago, I, I, every book that comes out, I feel like I think most, you know, you hear actors say all the time that whatever they're working on, they're always worried that's that's it, that'll be their yeah. last uh, their last gig. I, I feel the same about every book. I just think, you know, it's such an unreliable industry, really. Any, anyone in the arts would know this. Like any any kind of artist knows that, you know, it's just it's not a nothing's guaranteed in, at all and, um you just, you know, be grateful for what comes along when it comes along and enjoy it while it lasts because, yeah, it's just it's a tough industry. It is, it is, although I'd have to say that you're almost well established by now. I don't think you're running the risk of dropping <laughs> off, if you like. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, oh, let's hope not. Hey, I, I try not to dwell in that space. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I actually, I mean, I do wonder. I do wonder though about the future. You know, of because of all the yeah. digitization and all the things that go on. You know, I don't know. I don't know if any of us know where publishing is going. Really. Mm. So all mm. you can ever do, I think, is just you write because you have to. You write because the story won't leave you alone. You write because you love it, and that's that's they're the kind of voicey things I need to block out and just go. I do this because I love it, and I love creating worlds and characters and stories. Do you know, I think it's going to survive, obviously. In what format? I don't even know if that matters because really it's about story. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So multiple formats, I think formats can come and go, but at the moment I think, you know, we've got the hard copy, we've got audio and we've got ebook, and they all seem to be tracking quite well. But people consume story in so many different ways now. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a massive audio book fan. I really can't read long form fiction uh, very well at all. Like sometimes I will, if, if someone's asked me to do a you know, review quote for something, which I, you know, I think is a great honor and a great privilege and it means so much to the author to do it. So I'll do it, but it takes me so long to read off a page. So yeah, I've just got audiobooks going constantly. I, and I'm not a very good sleeper. So I'm awake a lot during the night and I just get through so many books. Uh, tell me about how you work. What does a typical day look like if you do have a typical day? And tell me about your animals and where you are. Yeah, so uh, no no day is typical, sadly. I, I would love a routine. I'd love to be able to stick to it. I'd love to have assurance that I'm going to get so much stuff done in a week. And it just doesn't. Like it just runs on chaos constantly. And I think because that's how it started with, you know, a six-week-old baby, it was just always kind of wherever he's at in life, then I work around that or whether I've got childcare or I don't or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And then, you know, kids get sick all the time and they blow your plans out of the water all the time. So it's never very stable. And in general, I try and work in the mornings because I've got more brain power for fiction in the mornings. I can do kind of other things in the afternoon. Like I'm teaching a writing, novel writing course and I can do, you know, I can prep that sort of stuff in the afternoon, but I really can't write fiction because it's such a huge world. Like it just takes up so much space in my head and really needs everything, you know, to do that. Uh, So I don't like getting up unless I've written a thousand words. And sometimes that can take an hour and sometimes that can take four hours depending on what I'm writing or how well I'm functioning or how many interruptions I get or whatever. So, you know, it just, it's mad chaos. It's constantly mad chaos. And sometimes, you know, I have to work on weekends or I have to work at night or I have to, I go away on retreat twice a year with my friend Kate who's been a great friend and writing buddy for about we don't even know we can't remember we think it's about 16 years or so and so twice a year we go away to the mountains for a week and we just lock ourselves in there and write which is brilliant we get so much work done and it just and it really highlights actually how much you can get done if you are not bogged down by you know kids animals school runs driving housework, any of it. It's just, it's amazingly creative space, which I love. But I live in the country. I've lived in the country for years and years and years. I love small towns. They're really my my speed. And I have lots of animals here. There's usually one walking past my window just outside my office here. But we've got horses and I work out the small <laughs> somebody I posted a thing the other day. I have a pony that knows how to open gates. And so she's <laughs> I, you know, every now and then I walk, I'm like, kept walking out like three times in a row going, why is everyone where they shouldn't be? And then I realized that I'd forgotten that yum yum knows how to open gates. 
So I had to, you know, fix the gate. And then I came out this morning and the goat was on the lawn just outside the front door snorting at me. And I'm like, why are you here? And Pina also knows how to open gates. So, yeah, they're, they're their own level of chaos as well, but huge fun. And, yeah, animals are they're everything to me. They've been my my big special interest my whole life and just love them to bits. Yeah. Huge. How old is your six-week-old now? He's, ele- well, he's nearly 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, crazy, right? Well, at least he's at primary school. Um, at least you've got a few hours there. Yes. Um, I want to talk, I see a lot of comments on our Facebook page, and I know you do too because sometimes you respond to, to readers, which they adore. <laughs> but I often think about what makes stories resonate with readers because your stories are very well loved. And I think it's one that you're writing, writing about you know, people that you probably know, people in your community, people in a small town. And I think there's an aspiration for that kind of connection. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that it's just very, yeah, very human. It's just absolutely what we're all looking for. You know, that's that's why somebody asked me the other day um, when I was down doing a few events down in Brisbane and someone said, um, interesting question romance isn't the top storyline in your stories why is that I thought why should it be but um it's it's an interesting you know it's I said well it's not that's not the focus like relationships are important in their everyday life but it's just you know the actual kind of like that falling in love and falling out of love and getting back together that's just not the thing that keeps my interest what keeps my interest uh sort of bigger things and so I love and also I haven't done it but I don't like pitting friends against friends or husbands against wives like I'd rather have people who are taking on the world together like who are just you know going this is going on in our life and that's going on in out in the world and let's you know how can we sort of what can we do just what can we do to make things better and it was one of my writing missions I wrote myself a writing mission when I got my first contract and one of them was to just make books that added to the world basically and didn't take away, but they added something out to the world that just helped everyone, all, all of humanity and everyone just move along, move forward just that little bit extra. And they feel good, you know, they've got yeah. great stories, but they're also feel good. Do you know, I mean, I have recorded uh, many, many podcasts, maybe over 400 now, and I have never heard a writer talk about writing their mission statement. Yeah. That's a first. Fun. Tell me why you did that and why you thought that that would work for you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I can't remember. I think probably just because I wanted to, like there's so many different ways you can go, right? So, I mean, normally I have to choose between several sort of stories that are floating around in my head and you have to choose what, what it is that you want to put out. And I guess it was partly to just clarify why I do what I do. Um, I guess it, help, it helps me focus and, and exactly that block out all the other stuff out there that gets into my head and it just, you know, reminds me of like why am I doing this? What am I trying to do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what prompted it. I just thought, you know, I guess writing feels like such a privilege. I guess that's yeah. probably it. It feels like such, it's such a privileged thing to be able to write. I mean, it is a, an industry that, um, you know, the more privilege you've got, the the further ahead you are right from the start. Yeah. Uh, in terms of just, you know, education, access, all of those, ability to travel, ability to tour, all of those kinds of things, technology, all of it. So, and I'd struggled for so long to get there that I didn't want to then 
lose sight of that either, that this was a serious privilege that I know lots and lots and lots of people want and thousands of people have a story in them that they're desperate to get out and they want to get it out and they can't. And so it is just a reminder to just go, you know, this is incredibly special and incredibly privileged and I'm really grateful for it. So what can I do that makes use of that privilege and that gratitude? Josephine, great note to end on. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. The book is called The Wonderful Thing About Phoenix Rose. Loved our chat and you take care. Thank you. Always great to chat to you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.